future is Mecca. In the previous episode. Only Anu can trust Anu. Why are you still about? What did the invigilator have to say, hmm? Whatever danger you think I'm putting you into, don't forget to consider your own major blunders. She said he's in a Malay squad, but they're not paupers. Did you not hear the part where I said he attacked me? You trying out again? I went flying down the stairs, kids ducking out of the way. I don't think it's broken. It's probably just a sprain. It was like I had really lost an arm, an arm I needed to hold a Mekroth stick. I heard you sprained your wrist. Does it look like I have a sprain? We waved our arms around in all directions. I hope you're ready, baby. Calibrate. Don't do this to me now. Everyone was bouncing on their mecha toes, ready to step, jump, or jet. It made the eight-meter ranges look even taller, like I was looking up at a wall of red and white heavy alloy that was about to come crashing down on me. You're not going to make the team, said Tien. You're not going to make it off the field, said Risto. Except in pieces, said Ainsley. For the third time in three weeks, the high piping sounded. Everyone exploded into motion. Kai and Burko, set in defense, jetted back towards the goal. The other three jetted forward, fanning out to surround me. I was already hopping backwards. Big hop, baby. The baby's jets pushed us ahead of the rangers. Skate left. Left, left. We were far enough ahead to zip past Tien and towards the middle of the field. The attackers fired their jets hard to reverse their forward motion and shift to skating backwards. The baby's jets gave us a speed advantage, but their years of playing and their profs made their reaction times quicker than I could match with the voice interface. Koda was right. Could I talk fast enough? The attackers followed me across the field, keeping themselves between me and the goal, waiting for me to make a move closer. They were strategically spaced out left to right to give the best cover if I tried for a long shot and front to back so they had time to respond to any move or strike I might make. That spacing was like a puzzle. And I could see, I could feel how to weave through it, how they would react, how I would counter, but it needed split-second timing. Coaching the baby through it didn't seem possible. The seconds were ticking by. I skated back in the direction of the coach. Tien, who was closest, started her shift into a lean, preparing to jet-break and follow me. Now, I said to the baby. We traced the path I'd visualized, shooting past Tien in a high-powered hop that kept us close to the ground. We landed in front of Ainsley. She saw us coming and was digging in hard with her jets to stop. She did stop, but not fast enough. Rangers are heavy. They can't stop on the spot. But the baby can. We skated past her. So close to the back of her ranger, we had to bank hard to slide through her shadow. Then we were heading straight towards Risto. He turned his braking into a hop straight towards me, but I had already moved. I weaved back out, and then weaved back in, and they all followed me. I sped towards the goal and used my right jet to turn my straight line of travel into a swooping turn. Chen and Ainsley were already moving between me and the goal. I passed the ball to a defender. I think it was Kai. She had to hate that. She wouldn't want to catch it, but she couldn't look clumsy. Not during a tryout. She would also have to pass it back to me, and it would have to be a good pass. In Mekros, body checking is completely legal, but because I didn't have the ball, no one could touch me, not without a penalty. The defender who caught the ball signaled that they were going to throw it to my left. I banked with the jets and skated in that direction, right towards Tien and Ainsley. 
We all knew where the ball was headed. Right into trouble. If I caught the pass, I was going to be hit by both of them. Instead of waiting for it to come down, I reached up with my stick, holding it by the very end in my left hand, and hopped. The ball landed in my net. We were airborne and still speeding towards Chien and Ainsley, who were getting set to plow through me. It was more of a thought than an instruction. The baby's jets fired again. We rotated around the net of my Mecross stick in the ball, passing over the incoming rangers in a somersault at full stretch. We'd landed on jets and skating backwards. Chien and Ainsley hit their jets to reverse direction. Risto was coming at me, but he had underestimated how fast the baby could change course. They're all used to playing against hardback rangers and sturdy mix. The advantage was mine. I wasn't even talking to the baby anymore. We were just moving as one. It happens in the Sims sometimes, when everything flows and you're running, jetting and fighting. The controls just disappear in your pure action and reaction. I could feel the jets under my feet as I swerved around Risto. We're moving so smoothly it could have been glass under our feet. As I headed towards the goal, the defenders moved up to intercept me. I narrowly missed being body-checked by Chien as she and Ainsley dashed in to attack me from behind. A shot was about to open up. Burko couldn't resist attacking me, leaving a gap in the defense. I brought back my stick to take a shot through the opening he'd left. My stick was blocked. Risto had reached in with his own and caught mine. As I pulled against his stick, he used that resistance to shoot himself forward, adding in jets so he slammed against me. It was so hard I swear I could feel it against my back and shoulder. I cut the jet so he hit the permaturf. With a firm grip on the ground, the baby and I could push back. Ainsley and Tien double-slammed me and knocked the ball out of my net and freed my stick from Risto's. There was a scramble for the ball. The defenders jetted in. Everyone was swinging with their sticks, but I think I was the only one trying to grab the ball. Everyone was trying to hit me. That ended up helping me. They're getting in each other's way. I hopped to the left and broke free of the pack. They all hopped and skated to follow it as I was already jetting back. I threw my stick from my left hand to my right, scooped the ball up off the ground, and as the rangers swarmed back over me, I swung it one-handed towards the goal, reaching around the mechas in front of me. The goal had been left undefended in the brawl, and the ball flew into the back of the net. They all saw it, and their outrage increased the ferocity of their attack. I felt what I was sure were punches from mecha fists on the back of my cockpit. The mecha in front of me threw away its stick and started pounding on my canopy with its fists. I could see Risto in the cockpit screaming and working his profs. I dropped my stick and put up my arms to block his blows. Other mechas were kicking at me and hitting me with sticks and fists. The coach was yelling at everyone to stop over group comms, but no one was listening. Risto was trying hard to crack my canopy, but the struts and the plexi were standing up to his blows. I grabbed his mecha wrists. There was a struggle as he tried to break free. Someone else started banging on my arms to make me let go. I could feel the blows. I could feel the active alloy wrists of his ranger in my hands. Looking at him through our canopies, I pushed his arms away from my cockpit and pulled them down. I could feel him resisting. His servos working hard, but he couldn't stop me. This morning I couldn't break free from him and Burko. Now he knew how it felt. I increased the tightness of my grip, squeezing and pulling. I wasn't going to let him go so he could keep punching me. 
There was a crunch within my hand. His arm was free of my grip. In the baby's hand was the shattered wrist of the ranger, the connected hand hanging loose, the unpowered fingers dangling. Risto held up his mecha arm, the shattered stump of the wrist showing cables in the severed frame of the forearm. Everyone went completely still. The only sound was the deep stomp, stomp of the coach's bulk handler mecha coming towards us. It turns out that the catastrophic failure at any part of a Glurk mecha triggers a cockpit lockdown. Probably because if there is a situation that can damage a mecha, then it can definitely kill a pilot. The mecha had sent a distress call at the same time as it locked the cockpit. What in the hot skin of the sun happened here? Risto was holding up his left arm, the stump in front of his cockpit, and everyone was staring at it. I guess everyone was in shock. Joints get popped. Sometimes fingers, hands, and even arms get torn off or blasted off. But at the joint. It's always at the joint. It's never through the active alloy panels. They don't even bend. Not in The Sims, not in real life, not in Mechros tryouts. I was in shock too. It felt like I was in a bad dream. A dream like I had on Friday, but worse. The fingers of my right hand stung like they had been burned. But my hand was pinned against my chest by the pilot's seat. Part of my brain knew that, but most of my brain thought my hand was holding the severed wrist of a mecha. I dropped it to the ground. Looking at my hand, which was the baby's hand, the green fingers in the palm were silver where they had grasped Risto's arm. I closed the hand into a fist before anyone noticed it. All that I did without a whisper, without a word to the baby, with my right hand prosthetic sitting empty. It struck me that over the last few moments, the scramble past the defenses, the brawl, I hadn't said a word the entire time. A shiver crawled down my spine. A shiver? It was an electrical arc or lightning. It didn't fizz or tingle. It sparked and crackled, radiating out through my arms and legs and across my skin, up over my scalp, down over my face. I swear it went through my eyes to the back of my head. Wherever that power flowed, I felt myself expanding and unfolding. My fingers still burned, but there was also warmth in the soles of my feet. Wind currents moved over my skin. I could hear thousands of servos activating as the learners at the halfway line began to rush forward. I felt taller. I felt stronger. My skin was active alloy, and the tickle in my joints told me I could tear apart every mecha in front of me, including the bulk handler. Panic rose in me as I remembered the dream. I could still breathe. I could still feel myself. I could feel my chest rise and fall as I breathed in and out. But I was in the baby like I had grown to fill every inch of it, like it was a second skin. I could blink hard, open my eyes and look out through the struts of the canopy. Blinking again, and I was looking through what? Through the baby's eyes? Where were they? What were they? Cameras? Well, green guy? I looked up at the coach and blinked. I could see his head and shoulders through his canopy as he bent over us. 
I was trying to stop him from hitting me. That's when the crowd of learners and mechas swept around us. They knew something had happened, but in the close quarters of the brawl they'd been unable to see exactly what had happened. Then Risto held up his stump, and everyone ran in to get a closer video of it so they could share it. A lot of paint jobs were getting scratched in the jostling. Mecha elbows were being jabbed in chests. Kids were pushing each other's mechas. I did my best to back my way out of it, relieved everyone was obsessing over Rista's mecha arm and ignoring me. Azalea and Koda were waiting at the edge of the crowd. We kept moving away from it until we could hear each other over the roar and group comms. What happened? said Azalea. Risto's arm broke off, I said. You popped his arm, said Coda. Worse, his forearm snapped through the panels. The panels failed, said Azalea. I think so. We best keep moving. I'm sure the coach will turn off the autonomous zone to stop this riot. The crowd was getting out of control. Mechas on the outside were pulling at the mechas in front of them. Mechas in the middle were popping up on jets, not caring who got caught in the wash or who they scratched. As we stomped further away from them, the mecha crowd started twisting and sliding. My ears were filled with the sounds of jets and rotors, but the sky was empty. There we go, said Coda. Everyone's anti-collision system came on at once. They were shuffled and spun as every mecha attempted to move itself a safe distance away from the mechas around it. Waves of adjustment rippled through the crowd, with each wave pushing mechas further and further out. Let's go back to the stand, I said. My hand was still burning and the fingers felt swollen. I want to get a spot before the whole place rushes for one. Here comes the service mechas, said Azalea, pointing into the sky. A tight wedge formation of six mechas in service colors jetted over the field. They spread out into a half circle and dropped slowly to the ground the mechas below forced to make space for them. I doubt Risto will be mecking home. They've brought an ultra-heavy drone with them. He was right. Overhead, high above the transit lanes and waiting for instruction, a dark four-lobed silhouette slid to a stop. It was so still and steady it looked like a weird hole cut out of the blue sky. Soon it would descend to take the damaged mecha away to a glurk repair facility. We mecked back to the stand. As we walked, I rubbed my mecha hands together, distracted by the burning sensation. It spread to my left hand. So did the glint of bare alloy. I closed both hands into fists and didn't say a thing. In the stand, we mecked all the way to the far end near the trees. Azalea and Coda stand at either side of me. That was a nice protective gesture from my friends. The rest of the place was still on the field. Stand by, I said to the baby. Standing by. That was all pretty weird, I said as the seat returned to its normal shape and my arm was freed. Calibrating. This calibrating stuff is getting weird. Can we stop? Calibrating. You can't argue with an automatic system. Especially not a weird one. I didn't wait for the stream bell. Azalea and Coda wanted to hang out in their cockpits and watch Risto's mecha get droned off, but they understood that I wanted to avoid attention. When the afternoon stream bell sounded, I was already in tech stream, hiding behind my veer set, and as soon as Tabitha snuck away, I did the same, winding my way silently between the tables of learners with their sets on. 
By all the keyboard action and giggling, most of them were just chatting and playing. What do you expect on the second last day before break and the excitement of a wrecked mecha? Hall drones buzzed and beeped at me until I pushed through the doors to outside too. The stupid things never leave the building. Back in the baby, I instinctively seated the profs and was mecking us through the trees behind the stand for a sneaky early exit. We were mecking down the ring road, and I wasn't bothering with the arms since I couldn't use one. Because it was the least disturbing event of the day, I started thinking about the tryout. The first part, before it went weird. How those toxic beasts had turned it into a fight. I'd scored a goal, so wasn't I officially on the team? And who was going to get kicked out? If it doesn't count, could I score faster next tryout? That's what I was thinking about when I realized we were turning the corner into my street, and I wasn't moving my feet. Walking in a mecca doesn't mean you move your legs like you're walking. The profs pick up movements in all the muscles in your legs from your toes to just above your knee. The less you have to move anything, the faster you can walk, run, and react. My walking happens from the ankles down, with the toes handling most of the input. That's how most simmers do it. It's second nature now, but I learned it when I was really young. But I wasn't moving anything. And that realization brought us to a halt mid-step. It was like I forgot how to mech for a moment. I had to wiggle all the profs, and then I set us stomping down our street and onto the pad. It felt awkward compared to that silent kind of visual control I had during the match and right after it. And just then, without thinking about it, on the walk home. After the baby lowered me to the ground, I had to look at its hands. There were patches of silver active alloy across the fingers on both hands and on the palm of the right. It felt like active alloy. It was smoother than the baby's green alloy skin. There was a bump, a rise where the silver patches started, like it was lying on top of the baby's skin, but was fused with it. Dad had got a notification about my visit to medical. When he got home and saw my arm in the sling, he demanded the full story. He got so angry. Did you tell a guide what happened? Did they check the cameras? No, they made it look like an accident. You could have been seriously injured. How'd you even try out with that arm? Voice interface, I said, which was kind of true. Voice interface? I'm surprised it worked. That thing has got to be older than what Lemur said. It went all right. He didn't fully calm down until we were halfway through eating dinner. It was chicken curry on basic riceoids. Riceoids are shaped like rice and have the same nutrient composition as rice, but they're churned out by machines and come in a range of colors. We're eating blue and yellow ones. I heard a ranger lost an arm at your learning place, he said. Yeah. Did you see it? That nearly made me choke. Was he testing me? If he heard about it, then he saw the shares. I saw it. Guess who it happened to? One of the kids on the stairs? Yep, Risto. I feel he might have deserved it. Word is the panel's defractalized. A loose wire or something, so the panel's lost connection to the power cell, and the active alloy started to break down. Really, I said. It'd be nice if that was true, but the baby's hands made that unlikely.
but all the shares got glurked. They don't want people worrying about mecha safety. All of them. Supposedly, all media within 500 meters from 10 minutes before until the service mech has left the area. Check your mini tab. I bet any pictures or videos you took are gone. I didn't take any. No, I would have liked to see how it looks. On site, we've got techs inspecting panels, especially finger panels, every day. He followed that with a long and detailed explanation of the inspections and the scanners they used. I zoned out. There were no shares of me and the baby tearing off Risto's arms. That made my worries settle down. After dinner, I got a message from one of Anu's mystery IDs. It had to be him. Three impossible things. That made me feel better. The freak was wrong for once. The count of impossible things was up to five, and I was the only one who knew it. It took a lot of bucket of kittens to get to sleep that night. That was after a long, long session of staring at the city and at the baby. That ugly little mecha was stronger and faster than a hardvac ranger. It was stronger than active alloy. How is that possible? Its old-fashioned voice interface wasn't old and wasn't really a voice interface. Would you call it mind control? It was so weird. But the control was amazing. The way we moved across the field, around the other mechas, it had been so smooth and instant. Like I was in a revision 1000 or something. 10,000. When I tried to sleep, I couldn't stop recalling the sensation of active alloy skin and bones and the jets in the soles of my feet. I was afraid I was going to have another one of those suffocating dreams, or I was going to wake up with lens heads dragging me from my bed. It was a real win that all the shares got glurked. I dreamt about a Metcross game, except it was being played in the dark. I kept getting body checked by opponents I could barely see. The goal was under a light, but it was tiny and far away. Then I was watching the match from the sidelines, just standing in the dark, watching and waiting. It was a pretty boring dream. In the morning, the silver patches on the baby's hands had vanished, but I could still feel that the surface was raised where they had been. Tracing their edges brought back flashes of the burning and the swelling sensations. When I mecked into the 548 stand the old-fashioned way, one arm swinging, one arm hanging, there was a shiny new hardvac ranger in the middle of the red and white Metcross rangers. The reinforcing around the canopy edge meant it was the very latest model, as all ranger fans would know. Glurk probably dropped it just yesterday. It would give Risto something to boast about. I waited in my cockpit until my friends arrived. I didn't want any fuss. They standed right next to me, so we kept our canopies down and chatted over group comms. My dad was pretty sad about the Glurk's shares, I said. It's crazy! Wiping people's mini-tabs and drones, said Azalea. It does happen. My father was also disappointed. He said he would have liked to have seen your little mecha tearing the arm off a ranger. He didn't tear the arm off. Well, the baby was holding onto it when it defractalized. Basic Risto started it, said Azalea, and he got a brand new mecha. Maybe he won't get to paint it red and white. Praxit did score a goal before the brawl started. Moon, that's right! You're on the team, said Azalea. 
Hermeka's left hand came up, forming into a fist. This wasn't the field or an autonomous zone, so she could only perform a short jab downwards in the direction of the baby's shoulder. Ow, I said. Watch my wrist. They laughed. I really hope Risto gets cut, said Azalea. In Mediastream, Risto's arm was the only thing Jumana and Van wanted to talk about. They'd been watching the midline like everyone else and never got close enough to get a view before the service mechas arrived. You were right there. What did it look like? said Jumana during the break. Did you see it defractalize? said Van. I didn't see anything, I said. Everyone was kind of pounding me. Then his arm was broken. I heard you snapped it off, said Van. It wasn't me. I was just trying to stop him from hitting me. I knew it, said Jumana. You grabbed him and it disintegrated. I was about to deny it, but eight drones flew up, and I was scanned. So much for Anu and his monitoring of the situation. And ooh went up from all the learners. Leopard stalked around, shouting for everyone to return to working. Learner Praxit, please be escorted, broadcast a drone. I hope you're not in too much trouble for it said Jumana with a serious expression on her face. I packed my set and keyboard into my bag. My expression must have looked grim because Van said, He's already got a new mecha, Neef. They can't do anything. If I don't see you again, have a fun break, I said. The drones took their positions around me and I let them guide me out of the room. I was led down the stairs. You can imagine how panicked I was as we neared the small side corridor that led to the invigilator's office. Then we're past it, heading towards the guide's lounge. I was now confused as well as panicking. Then the drones stopped outside the coach's office, flew up over me, and buzzed away. I stood there staring at the door handle. What was the coach going to do about Risto's arm? Risto had a new mech, so what could the coach do? Quit standing and come in, he called. The room was small, smaller than Cooper's. I'd never been in it before. The wall on the left was covered with pictures and pictures of kids in front of mechas. Years and years of mechross teams. The wall on the right held shelves of trophies, miniature silver and gold mechas holding up mechross sticks. Behind the coach, the wall was covered with a giant framed red and white poster with the same fist and same 548 that the team mechas had painted on their chest panels. Below the poster was a crossed pair of human-sized mechross sticks. Have a seat. I sat down, perched on the edge like I wanted to run out of there. Because I did. The coach was leaning back in his chair and tapping his pencil on his desk and watching me. His veer set sat on a pile of screens that looked like they would slide off the desk at any moment. Besides the keyboard, there was a small version of a red and white Macross ball sitting atop a clear plexi stand. He swiveled around and put his elbows on the desk, holding the pencil like he was thinking about snapping it. Your tryout yesterday. He left those words hanging between us. It didn't end well, I said. No, it didn't. But it started okay. You move like a natural. You made a good pass and a good catch. On the fly. That flip was a nice touch. Borderline legal, but that's okay. And you did score a goal. I nodded. It was all true. Now... I know I said that if you scored a goal, you're on the team. But, but what happened after, 
I didn't know his mecha arm was going to break. No one knew that. It's not about the arm. It's about the fighting. I didn't start it. When I scored, I'm not interested in who started it. That was a funny thing to say. Everyone knew who started it. He had to have seen it from up there in the cockpit of his giant mecha. I called you in here to tell you, despite what I said, despite your goal, I'm not adding you to the team at this time. Was that it? The drone escort and the talk about Risto and fighting it was to tell me I wasn't on the team? <sighs> All the worry and fear left my body and I slumped back into the seat. The coach misinterpreted my reaction. The guy obviously loves Mechross and thinks everyone else does too. I'm sorry. A team needs to be cohesive. And what I saw on the field was the opposite of that. Unhesive. Dehesive? Nonhesive? Anyhow, it wasn't good. Don't take it too hard. You showed a lot of promise. I'm sure you'll make it on the team one day. Uh, thanks. Is that all? Yeah, that's it. I know it's a hard blow to take. <laughs> you might need some time. He picked up a screen and started tapping on it. I'm giving you a stream pass. You can hang out in the waiting zone if you like. And I can book you into the counselor if you need to talk about it. I think I'll be okay, I said. Who needs a counselor for not being on the Mechross team? One more thing, he said as I was opening the door to leave. Can you take a break from the tryouts? I know they're open, but maybe take a couple months off. Sure, coach, I said. There was no way I was going to hang around on the couches outside Cooper's office. I went to the eating space. On my way there, Jules and Illy walked into the main hall from outside three. Hi, Praxit with the little mecca, said Illy. They fell into step beside me. We saw Risto's arm. Before everything was glurked, said Jules. It was an accident. The panel's defractalized, I said. What happened to the arm? That's not what defractalization looks like, said Illy. So non-standard, said Jules, and they left me to go upstairs. Did they have to say that to me? I knew it wasn't defractalization. The baby had ripped off Risto's arm, crushing and tearing the active alloy panels and the heavy active alloy frame beneath it. And I'd been controlling it. If I was going to get in trouble for Risto's arm, the coach would have said something. He was right there when it happened. Dad would have got a notification. I'd be droned to the administrator's office, or Glurk Security would have shown up at my front door. But maybe Illy and Jules were wrong. Maybe it was a kind of defractalization. Just a bit wacky? A rare kind? Maybe it was at an early stage and the baby's grip was enough to break it. That seemed possible. And the stuff on the baby's hands? It just stuck there like chalk spread off a spoon sticks to your fingers. The way it made my hands burn. Oh, I just pushed that thought away. The eating space was empty, but the food stations were full and ready to go. Yak burgers. A two-for-one deal. What food programmer couldn't guess they wouldn't be popular? It was right there in the name. Yak was mighty close to yuck. 
I grabbed two with my good arm, carried the tray to a table near the windows. I wanted to block out the weirdness for as long as I could. So I ate and scrolled through the Megastar sim schedule over the break. There weren't any tower battle matches until day four. That's no good. However, there were no elimination rounds. It was all about collecting as many points as you could, while keeping your win-loss ratios as high as possible. It was the kind of setup that favoured an all-rounder like me. Maybe that's why Fang had wanted to team up. There were only four flight sims in the schedule. He always dominated in those. End of stream sounded. The noise of feet on hard floors and excited voices grew louder and louder, and then exploded as learners flowed into the eating space. I messaged Coda and Azalea to tell them where I was and what was on today's menu. Azalea replied with a barf emoji. Most of the Mechros team walked in together and spotted me right away. They strutted straight to my table. Well, if it isn't the Dim Lord sitting all alone, said Tien. These seats are taken, I said. We don't want to sit with a loser like you, said Risto. Yeah, you can't even try out anymore, said Ainsley. Because you suck like an industrial vac bot, said Risto. He doesn't suck. It was Azalea coming up behind them. The sight of her made Risto flinch and hop out of her reach. He scored, she said, while you were all fouling him. No, he weren't, said Ainsley. He fouled me, wrecking my mecca, said Risto. And you got a new one. He scored. You're the losers. Get over it. They walked off, huffing and muttering, but no one wanted to argue with Azalea. Coda came into the eating space with Davor of all people. And they were talking and laughing. It was weird seeing Coda in his white outfit and his tall white cylinder of hair next to Davor in black with his black hair. Davor sneered as soon as he realized Coda was leading him towards me and Azalea. He veered off with a wave to Coda, who looked at us and at Davor's receding back and rolled his eyes. Guess who isn't on the Mechros team, I said as he reached the table. You and Davor need to patch things up. His mother is dating your father. You've got to see a lot of each other, said Coda. You're not, said Azalea. They're dating? Why was Davor telling Coda that stuff? They're not dating, I said. My mini-tab buzzed. On the screen was another of Aino's stupid mystery IDs. The message was an emoji, a smiley with a zippered mouth. How did he even know what we were talking about? Did he have the whole learning place bugged? Davor says they are. Why is the coach not putting you on the team? You scored before all the ruck you scored before all the ruckus started. Because of the ruckus, I said. I took a bite of Yak Burger before launching into a full retelling of my meeting with the coach. It was nearly impossible to swallow it because it tasted weird and, again, eight drones buzzed up and demanded I be escorted. I had an extra bad feeling about them this time. Anu had known they were coming. Why didn't he stop them? Who wants to see you? said Azalea. I have no idea, I said. We'll keep your other burger safe until you get back, said Coda. You can have it, I said. I'd rather eat the compostable tray. As I was escorted across the eating space, the noise fell into a sea of hissing whispers. Everyone was watching. Everyone was learning that I was the guy in the green mecha in the Mechros tryout. Go, Simlord! Someone yelled. People whistled. Everyone started drumming their feet on the floor. 
They all thought I was getting droned to the administrator for the fight with the Macross team. Without turning around, I held my good arm up high and straight and made a peace sign. The whistling and stomping went crazy. I walked through the doors like that. It was a stupid gesture. But if no one ever saw me again, that's what they would remember. I bet there are loads of mini-tabs up in the air, recording my exit. Despite how stupid it was, it did make me feel cool until I turned down the narrow corridor and saw the invigilator's door at the end of it. The drone at my back bumped my bag twice because I had stopped. It felt like the walls were closing in as I walked towards the door. The ceiling was coming down, and the floor was rising up to meet it. My heart was trying to throw itself through my ribs, and my tongue had glued itself to the bottom of my mouth. I couldn't swallow. The door opened, and Moira, the invigilator, stood there, smiling like she was glad to see me. Praxit, thank you for coming to see me. Do come in. It won't take long. I just have a few questions for you. Hey, James here. I'm the guy writing and reading Futures Mecca for you. I am amazingly lucky to have an audience to listen to this story. And without you, out there, listening to every episode, Praxit's story would never have been told. So, thank you, really. I'd like to ask you for a big favor. It's a simple favor, though. Share Futures Mecca. Share it with your friends. Tell them about it. Tell everyone about it. And if you can, rate it on iTunes or wherever you listen. Or share it on social media. Thank you in advance for sharing it. And thank you again for listening. Later, Neefs. <laughs>